Good morning. In the year 1418, a while back, of which they're building a church and they almost had it completed. They had the walls up, they had the doors, they had everything set, except for one part, the dome. And, and they wanted a dome that was higher, wider, bigger, more glorious than anyone had seen. They only had one problem. They had no idea how to build it. They had no clue. And so they put out a call. They said, does anybody know how to build a really big dome? We don't have the technology. We don't have the knowledge. They had a contest. And they found a man named Filippo Brunicelli or something. If I were Italian, I could probably say that better. He was a man with a new perspective. He transformed everything he touched. He invented inventions out of whole cloth, new techniques, new architectural approaches, and in doing so, ushered in the Renaissance. But how he did it, his machines, his approach, his techniques, nobody knew. Nobody still knows because he kept everything a secret. He didn't write anything down in plain text. He didn't leave notes to anybody. He didn't say, this is how we did it. This is how we're going to do it. It was all a mystery. In fact, when he submitted his model, and they had to submit these little models to show what the end result would look like, most of them would submit a model and then instructions. We'll use these beams. We'll get limestone from over here. We'll use this number of people. Filippo didn't give any of that. All he gave was a model. They said, you can't do that. How are we going to build this? This is crazy. Give us some kind of clue. And Filippo's response was he took an egg. He said, look, I'll tell you what. If you can get this egg to stand on its end, I'll tell you how I did it. I'll tell you how I'm going to do it. Needless to say, this is pretty much impossible, right? They didn't figure it out. And he said, okay, I'm not going to tell you. So to this day, researchers are still investigating how he did it, what he did, what materials he used. The technique and the explanation has been lost. Now, fortunately, as we've been reading through Ephesians, we're not in that situation, right? We're not at a loss because as we've been hearing in Ephesians, the Holy Spirit through Paul has been describing how Jesus builds his community, how a community centered on Jesus is built and stands the test of time. We have instructions. And we'll see more of that today. And in fact, you know, 
every time Ben gets up and talks through Ephesians, you're going to hear more detail about it. So our job as listeners is not to say, oh, what, what is this about? Because we kind of already know what Ephesians is about. It's seeing Jesus produce a community centered around himself. But each week, uh, try and listen for what's unique in that passage. What new information, what new spin on that theme is developed. And this morning, as I read through the first part of Ephesians 4, what I'd like you to listen for is the title of the message, right? Listen for three things. Listen for unity, listen for diversity, and listen for maturity. Listen for those three things. I'm going to read uh, chapter 4, 1 through 16, actually, as a whole unit. Paul writing says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, with gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and through all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And in saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint from which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray as we start. Jesus, we praise you uh, that we get to see how you have built your community. I pray that you would help us to hear, help us to understand in new ways um, how you give us unity, uh, you use diversity in that unity to drive us all towards maturity. Thank you that you left plans for us, uh, that you explain things, and that you invite us to participate in your great building project. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, this morning, what I want to talk about is unity in diversity for maturity. Unity, diversity, maturity. We'll talk just really briefly about each of those. 
Uh, first off, unity. Now, you know, Ben talked about this last week, and we've seen this since the beginning of Ephesians. In chapter 1, he talks about um, wanting them to be united, to be unified. And in the, the passage we just heard, and we heard last week, you heard one repeated, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, one is repeated seven times. It's all about unity. We're reminded of Galatians 3.28, where it says in the church there is no Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free nor male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. It's because in our church community, Jesus is, of course, the great unifier, right? The common bond that holds us all together. Which makes the church kind of unique because every other organization has some framework you have to adhere to, has some expectation. But the church is not based on anything, ideally, other than Jesus. Outside the church, there's always an us and them. Maybe it's different politics. Well, it's them. That's what they believe. Maybe it's different ways of spending money. Another them. Uh, maybe it's even something as basic as a different sporting team that you favor. Still another them. Uh, but in the church, we can have a wide, crazy range of backgrounds, of experiences, of viewpoints, of voices. And yet, we still have harmony. Uh, think about the 12 people that Jesus chose as his disciples. Not uniform, right? There were fishermen, there were tax collectors, there were political activists. They're all extremely different. Uh, we're going through Mark uh, in Sunday school here, retelling it, and you can hear those differences. They're constantly arguing with each other, talking about who the greatest is and how they should spend their time. They didn't get along, I don't think. But what brought them together, what brings us together, is the same. It's Jesus following him. And that unity, like I said, is remarkable. It should shock people. They should look at the church and say, those people are getting along and they're hanging out together? They belong to the same church? That's kind of crazy. It's different. It's unexpected. It's the kingdom of God breaking in to our experience today. So that's unity, in brief. But unity doesn't mean uniformity, right? It means harmony. We're not monolithic. So while, you know, we're emphasizing Jesus unifying us, there's also diversity that comes into play. So let's talk about diversity. If you look at verses 7 and 8 here, we get the idea that Jesus himself is introducing diversity. Verse 7 and 8 talks about grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Jesus is giving each one of us gifts and talents that are different than anyone else's. Uh, this is not like going... Uh, to Dillard's or some other department store, and if you're a guy buying a suit off a rack, 
right? No, this is, this is different. This is going to a tailor and then measuring you the length of your leg and, and how broad your shoulders are and making you some bespoke outfit that is designed to fit you and only you. This is a lot easier to think about on dresses or other custom outfits, but if you get one of these things, say you get a tuxedo or a fancy dress or an outfit, uh, even when you were a kid, think about Halloween, even easier example, right? You got that costume you wanted, and then what? You thought, well, I'll just put this in my closet and never use it again. No! You were dying for Halloween to come or for that party to arrive so you could wear your outfit. That's what these gifts that Jesus has given us should inspire us to do. And that's what we heard, um, the thing that Jeremy read earlier from Psalm 68. The, the, the business about Jesus ascending and descending here in Ephesians 4 is a back reference to that. It's basically saying Jesus has already ascended, is already king, and he's handing out gifts as part of his inauguration. And those gifts are to be used. And this is a cycle, this diversity in gifts. Uh, Paul is using his past example. You can see this in Ephesians, where um, earlier in Ephesians 3, he's given grace, and then he uses that grace to build up the body, to minister to the, to the Gentiles, to make the church more mature, and to make Jesus known. Paul is saying, this is my experience, and this is the experience of everyone who follows Jesus. It's a baton, baton handoff, a relay race, if you will, from Jesus to Paul to us, to each of us, to use those gifts, those diverse gifts in the church. So we have unity in diversity and now diversity in unity in a way, right? We're unified but we're not the same. And we have those gifts. And that combination, that universe, unit, excuse me, unity and diversity, uh, Paul winds up, the Holy Spirit gives us a reason. And that reason for those gifts, for that diversity, is to make us mature. It should result in maturity. Paul, through the Spirit, tells us in verse 12 that the gifts are, are to equip the saints, to build up the body into unity. But the goal is maturity, right? Look in verse 13, chapter 4. It says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, there we have unity again, and a unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So maturity then, is faith in Jesus and its knowledge of Jesus. Let's talk really briefly about what that maturity looks like. First, faith. Uh, the original language here connotes that this is understanding about Jesus. And, and really quickly, I would argue this connotes Jesus as three things, prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is our prophet, is a prophet of God because it communicates truth from God to us, gives us insight and understanding. He functions as our priest because it's man to God. 
He is our representative, our advocate, our attorney before God. And he's a king. He's a king who works everything in our favor, as it says in Romans 8.28. So it's that knowledge about those roles, but it's also, I mean, it's faith and understanding about those roles, facts, but it's also knowledge. And these are not facts. This is more like personal, intense experience. And this knowledge word is kind of confusing because I can say I know a lot of things, right? Like, I could say I know Harrison Ford. I don't really know Harrison Ford. I know of Harrison Ford. I know about Harrison. I know he has a hat. I know he played Indiana Jones. I don't really know Harrison Ford personally. But that's what this is called for. Uh, Deep, intense, experiential knowledge. And it's hard work, right? This takes time. You can know facts about Jesus, but to have experienced him over the years and to become more mature through the gifts of others is a process. Like I said, we're going through Mark in Sunday school on Sunday mornings, and it's getting annoying, the story. Because if you think about it, these 12 people follow Jesus, and they don't seem to get it. Uh, this morning, I told, we talked about the story where the, this is the third time Jesus has explicitly said, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to be handed over. They're going to condemn me to death. They're going to mock me, spit on me, hit me with whips. They're going to kill me, and then I'll rise again in three days. He said something like this three times in our story. Each time, the disciples completely miss it. The first time, Peter takes Jesus aside and says, Jesus, this is a terrible, terrible idea. Let's go with plan B. The second time, the disciples are busy arguing about who is the most awesome disciple? Who's the greatest disciple? And this third time, in response to Jesus saying, I'm going to die and I'm going to come back, James and John come up and say, hey, we have a question. We're not going to tell you the question. We want you to agree to it before we ask the question. Much like your three-year-old, right? And Jesus says, Jesus says, what do you want? And they say, well, we want to sit on either side of you when you're in power. These are not good responses, right? They have not matured. They have not uh, had that personal experience for long enough. We're still waiting to see if they actually do or not. So far, no luck. But that's what it means. We have to have the experience. We have to become more mature. And, and in case we feel like we've arrived, in case we feel like we've, we've got this down, what's really fascinating is that in verses 14, we get an opposite example. He says you, the church needs to be mature. We all need to be Uh, driven to maturity through these gifts so that you will no longer, in verse 14 he says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. Which is a really interesting image, right? Because what is he saying? He's saying, don't be like little children anymore. 
But that's interesting because Jesus in Mark and other places says, come like a child. Right? You can't come to Jesus thinking you're awesome. You can't come to Jesus and be part of the church thinking you have it all together. You leave everything and you come as a child. But Paul is saying, that's good. We start with nothing, but we can't stay that way. Think about what a child is like. They're, first off, they're kind of fickle, right? Have you ever had a young toddler be really upset about what's going on in life? They throw themselves on the ground, life is over, I didn't get that toy, or whatever else it is, and they're thrashing around, and you say, hey, who wants some ice cream? Bam! Total 180, right? Oh, yeah, that's great. They were just crying, and the world was ending like 15 seconds before, right? And they're also kind of deceivable. On one hand, they're stubborn, right? These scissors are broken. You come over, you're like, oh, you weren't holding them correctly. And they're like, no, they were broken before. How'd you fix them? But at the same time, if you tell a child who doesn't have experience with a straight face, the sky is purple, they'll believe you for a while, right? Um, they're, they're fickle, they're deceivable, they're immature is what it is. Like the disciples, they're all about instant gratification. They're all about their own self-interest. They're not interested in a long, disciplined walk in the same direction. So Paul is saying we have to mature out of that. And how do you know if you've matured? Well, you can't do it in the moment, right? No three-year-old says, I like trucks, I like to play on the playground, and I'm really kind of immature. No, you, you look back on your life, right? And you say, oh, five years ago, ten years ago, I, I just didn't get it. You have to have that kind of experience. That's how you know you're mature is by comparison to the past. So looking back, do you, do you see growth? Have you had that experience with Jesus? Are you different than you were six months ago? a year ago. If not, we need to think about that because this unity and diversity that I talk about uh, has to cause maturity in us and in others. And this can only happen in the church is what Paul is arguing. You can't do this on your own. Uh, this, this following Jesus with other people around people who aren't like you but are following Jesus as well, who can use their gifts to speak truth in love, to give you insight into who you are and remind you who Jesus is. That's what drives us into maturity. And Paul is going to spend the rest of Ephesians giving us concrete examples of how this works, what it looks like in different relationships, different structures, how the church should be organized, but it's all about driving us into maturity, making us like him as one whole body with him at the head. And that's what this part of Ephesians 4 is talking about. It, it's saying, uh, this is the master plan. 
for building the church. It's being unified in following Jesus, in knowing about him and knowing him personally. It's being diverse in our backgrounds and our viewpoints and certainly in our gifting. We need each other, that unity and that diversity to make us mature. Unity in diversity for maturity. One last thought. I talked about Filippo Brunicelli and the egg, right? They gave him the contract. He built the dome. After it was all over, they came to him and they said, well, how do you do the egg thing? Come on, you can tell us now. Took the egg. He looked at them. Well, stands on its end if I didn't totally break it like I just did. And they said, well, that was simple. We could have done that. He said, yeah. And if you knew how to do that, you could have built the dome as well. They needed Filippo, right? Just like we need Jesus. The temptation with, with being in community in the church is to think about what we have to do. But none of this matters without Jesus. Jesus is the unifier. Jesus is the source of unity. He gives us the gifts as king on high. He makes us unique, he makes us different, and he puts us in community. And he is the one that forces us to grow into maturity. It's not about us or what we do. It's us participating in what he is doing. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for how you reveal your plan. And you don't just call it into existence, but you call us to follow. You call us to participate. Um, you came to earth. You died for us. And then you laid out a plan that we get to participate in. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you unify us. You give us a diverse set of gifts and that you use all of that to drive us to maturity. In your name we pray. Amen.